needs all that's unspoken you hold the peace all that's been broken even when a melody won't come even when my words are not Amen. One more song here before brother comes. Bring it under the blood. <clears throat> Amen. We heard about it this morning. Put everything under the blood. Look to him. Forgive your brother. Extend forgiveness. Amen. I want to be forgiven. I have to forgive. Amen. Amen. Faith, that's a foundation. Oh, what a thought. That was wonderful this morning. Amen. Did you enjoy it? I did. Amen. Now if you want to be clean and have your spirit free, just let Jesus inside give Satan no place to hide. Bring it under the blood. Oh, bring it under the blood. 
the blood. Oh, anything in your life that you need to make right, bring it under the blood. Now, anything that you bring, repent it on your knees. If you find your heart right, he'll forgive you tonight. And that's the truth. If the devil's bothering you, there's only one thing you can do. Just point him to the, the promise. Amen. Point him back to the day God finished it. He's bothering you about things that are already over. It's already passed. It's already done. You don't have to worry about it anymore. Amen. Let's take our Bibles together. Isn't God so good to us? Amen. Amen. I certainly appreciated that service this morning. Oh, God is wonderful, isn't he? My. If you didn't catch it, that's the channel to perfect faith. Brother Ed was down in the ditches digging it out. Saying, follow me. Oh, my. Church, we've come to a place. A place where perfect faith is ready to come into the bride. If we just got to humble ourselves and say, Lord, I'm nothing. I got no place on my own. I can't, I can't do this on my own. I just got to take you at your word. And let it be a subconscious thing where you're just living day by day by the word of God. Amen. You can't force it. 
It's just a sensitivity to his spirit. Oh, how he loves you. Amen. Let's take our Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. Amen. After all the things that were said this morning, I, I just feel like the least of God's servants. And I, I can't hardly talk, can't hardly say much, and stumble over my words. But you know, God is good. Amen. We'll just trust in him. Why don't we bow our heads together and approach the author before we read his word. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, you know what we have need of tonight. You've even seen the prayer requests that were made known. Father, that was for us to get under a burden, Lord, but even the unmentioned ones, the little hands that were raised, and you know what's behind every hand, and the questions that's in every heart, Lord, and the needs, Lord, and the burdens, Father. Lord, you know those that have been in their prayer closet crying out to you, Lord. And you know those that have come expecting, Lord. Father, you know each one that streamed in tonight, wherever they may be. Lord, that they would get a touch from you. Lord, as you'd pass by our way tonight, Lord, I pray you'd pass me not, O oh, gentle Savior. Hear my humble cry. Lord, we want everything that we've done, Lord, after a service like this morning. Father, if there's anything we've left out from under the blood, Lord, forgive us. And Lord, we want to apply the blood of Christ afresh, Lord. If we've even fallen in this afternoon, Lord, or said something or done something, Father, forgive us. Lord, we just want to claim the blood of Christ once more. We have need of you every day, every moment, every hour, Lord. We're reliant upon you. We love you, Lord, with all our heart, Lord, and I pray that you just come and speak to us once more. We commit the word unto you, and I pray you'd help me just to get over my nerves, Lord. You just have the preeminence now, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Let's read in our Bibles in John chapter 12. I kind of got a little nervous this morning, Brother Ed said John chapter 12, and then he was just telling me what my text was, and then he switched it to John 14. But in John chapter 12, is, we'll start in verse 20, and, uh, and there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. The same came, therefore, to Philip, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee. And desired him, saying, Sir, we would see Jesus. And Philip coming and telleth Andrew, and again Andrew and Philip tell Jesus. And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it. He that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto eternal life, or life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me. Where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say 
Father saved them from this hour, but for this cause came I into this world. Father, glorify thy name. Then came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And the people, therefore, that stood by and heard it said that it thundered, and others said an angel spoke to him. Amen. May the Lord's blessing to the word. You may have your seats. I just want you to start maybe a little slower tonight and take the, a bit of a background or text on this in John chapter 12. And in verse 20, it begins to talk about a couple of Greeks that came and the Greeks were coming, and Brother Branham would talk about it in the message. God unveiled before us, and, and the mighty God unveiled. And he would talk about these Greeks, and he'd say, These Greeks, they were, they had their mythology of what God was. They had their gods that they believed in, they believed in their mythology. And most of their mythology, if you've done any research into it, most of their mythology has a lot of prideful gods. A lot of them have a lot of pride, and they're a lot of, do a lot of terrible things, really. And they continually exercise their power over humans that they have. And it's all, it's mythology. In other words, it's not real, it's made up, it's, it's a fake thing. But that's what they were looking to. And even Paul would go to Mars Hill, and he would see their different altars that they would worship at, and the goddess of Athena, and this one of Zeus, and that one of Diana, and different things. And, and, but he would see a certain altar that was made to the unknown god. And we know that, that these ones they had, the Greeks, they had a certain um, um, belief in these different gods. And, and, but, but now, I want to say, as they come in John chapter 12, they must have heard something about Jesus. Because Brother Branham would also take this text, and sirs, we would see Jesus. And he would take this where the Greeks, they said this, and to Philip, they desired, sir, we would see Jesus. And Philip then went to Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went over there to, to Jesus, and and in all of it, here they come, really, they came face to face with Elohim. But Elohim was in a veil, a veil of the, Lord, of the flesh of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they didn't recognize him. They had their ideas of what a God was, and they'd heard perhaps the different miracles that he'd done. They'd heard the great things that had happened. But here they come to him, and he's veiled to them, and they don't recognize this is truly what God is. Not that he's some, uh, some prideful being out there that's just above man and does whatever he would or whatever he pleases, but rather he's a God of love and he's a God of, of justice and he's a God of peace, but he's also a God of truth. And he cannot lie and he cannot uh, go against his own word. And, and as they would come to him, he never spoke to them in prideful or he never seemed perhaps full of power. He didn't perform some great miracle for them. When they came and said we would see Jesus, he just spoke to them and started to talk about a seed's got to go in the ground. And except a seed go in the ground and it abides alone, it's got to die there. And I'm sure to them, they, they begin to look at it in, in their, in their uh, theological minds where they begin to not quite understand what was being said. Or not quite begin to realize the significance of what they were saying. And really what he was talking about was he was actually bringing the message to them. 
He was actually saying, this is what has got to happen for you to receive what I've brought. I have to go into the ground to die. I have to be able to do this in order for the, for the Holy Spirit to come, in order for it to come to you, the Greeks. But to them, they were looking at looking for a mighty something or a mighty show. And, and, and we know even then they even did receive a bit of a heavenly sign. It really was a heavenly sign where some said it thundered. Some said it, 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 it was an angel that spoke or it was a different thing. But they couldn't understand what it was. But Jesus said that was a voice that came for your sake, not for my sake. Because he knew who he was. He knew that this was the hour that he came for. He knew it was coming to the season to manifest the seed that was planted in him. But now I want to just take a look as we go back a couple scriptures and then look at some of the events building up to this moment. As we know, this is John chapter 12, and we, we're all very, very familiar with John chapter 11. And that is where he was at, the tomb of Lazarus. He was there, and then Lazarus, I want to just read one scripture from John chapter 11. I'm sorry, sister, I forgot to give you scriptures. I was, had my head in the tizzy around other things, so I apologize. But in John chapter 11, verse 40, I'll just read it to you. It says, Jesus said unto her, it's familiar to all of us, said, Said I not unto thee, if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. And he says in the next verse, And they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus, he didn't immediately speak, but rather he lifted up his eyes. And he said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I know that thou hearest me always, but because the people which stand by, I said it, that they might believe that thou hast sent me. In other words, he's alluding to something. He's saying, I've prayed. I've been in the presence of God. It's not just that I'm the mighty God and I'm in a veil and I just walk around and do as I please. But rather, there's something within him that he, he has a supplication with the spirit that is within him. He has a supplication with God and he has prayer and he's fasting. As he said in another place, when they brought to him one that was uh, epileptic spirit, he says, why can't we cast this one out? He says, this kind doesn't come out but by prayer and fasting. Amen. So in all of the great miracles that are happening, he's bringing in a common thread in them where he's saying there has to be a prayer life. There has to be a personal relationship with God in order to see the miracles of God glorified in you. That's why he said, if you would just believe me, you would see the glory of God because he knew where he was standing by prayer. And then we go, if we follow the scripture down to, to John chapter 12, we find that at the beginning of John chapter 12, he's at a feast and Lazarus is there. And he's there and Mary, that's where Mary comes in and begins to take some expensive spikenard, a pound of it, and begins to anoint his feet and to wash his feet with it. And Judas gets all upset and everything because they could have been sold for 300 pence. And later on, he comes down in John 12 and he begins to ride into the city of Jerusalem. They call it the triumphal entry. At this point, he begins to ride in. And if you go back into the account of the triumphal entry in Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19, Sister Ruth, and verse 46, but after the triumphal entry, he comes in, and he comes right into the temple. After he, he looks over the city and he begins to weep, how oft I would have hovered over you and how oft you would have just accepted me. But now he comes down into the temple and he sees it and he says, it is written, my house is a house of prayer. 
So even in this hour that he's, he's coming in a triumphant entry, he says, my house is a house of prayer. It's not just a, a, I'm going to set up my kingdom here. This is going to be a throne or this is going to be this or that. No, this is something that is sacred. There's an importance here that in every moment that I'm the God of, there has to be somebody to pray. He says, but you've made it into a den of thieves. And these are the events that are leading up. And we know that then after this time, if we continue down, he comes out from Jerusalem. And now the Greeks come to him. Now they come seeking. Sirs, we would see Jesus. But we know that if we take it in verse 23, if you still have your Bibles in John chapter 12 and verse 23, he writes it this way. He says, and, 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 he says, and Jesus answered them saying, the hour... Which is to say in the Greek, if you take that back, the season. The hour is come. The season is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Amen. Amen. That's the first thing that he says to them. That They're looking for God. They're looking to see a great being, a great God. And he says, the season is here that I should be glorified. But first... The seed has to go in the ground. The seed has to die. Because if it doesn't do that, it's not going to do any good. If I just show myself as God and I set up my kingdom, it won't do any good. I have to die so that because there's sheep that are not of this fold right now, but they need to come. As he said in John 10. Hallelujah. But I want to just take a step back. Let's go back to the Old Testament. Let's turn back to Esther. I thought up until about 3 o'clock this afternoon that I was, I was done with Esther for a while, but then it all just started flooding back in. So I, I'm really praying tonight that the Lord could reveal to you what he showed me in the bedroom this afternoon. Because it was precious. In Esther chapter 4, we know how we spoke about this a couple Sunday nights ago, and Esther and her revelation was, was that, that was coming to her of who she was, and and uh, really, it's a type of the bride catching who she really is and the authority and the power that she has when she's sitting in her place. But now, in Esther chapter 4 and verse 16, this is the cry where Esther, Esther bade them return to Mordecai. This answer says, go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan. And fast ye for me, and neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise, and so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went his way and, and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. And sister, we'll read verse 1 of the next in a bit. But we find that now Esther begins to make a call for prayer. Notice when Jesus, he be right before he comes to the place where he says, the season is come for the Son of Man to be glorified. He's come right up to that moment where he knows it's a changing of the anointing. I must go to Calvary. I must be crucified. And he begins to make calls out and say, my house is a house of prayer. It's something that I would brood over you. Oh, this is time for prayer right now. As we know, as he'd go up in the Garden of Gethsemane, what would he do? He would go up there, he would fall on his face, and he would pray. And he would also tell his disciples, can't you pray with me just for an hour? Can't you pray with me just for a little bit? But, but they would just keep falling asleep. And sometimes we get that way when we ought to be praying and we're so tired and we get to falling asleep. Well, that's all right, but we know the intentions of our heart. 
But now as he begins to make this call here, Esther comes to a moment of decision in her life. She says, pray with me. Don't just leave me out on this to die, but pray with me. Really, my title tonight, if you're wondering, is a call to prayer. This has been on my heart, and then Brother Ed texted me yesterday, and we were talking about it about, about Tuesday, and, and, and the, the, the saints are going to get together and pray, and it's just been on my heart more and more lately. We need to pray. We need to pray. There's a power in prayer. There's something about prayer that you can't get away from it, because that's how God can operate in your life. Faith comes by prayer. Amen. Because faith is a revelation and you need to pray on your knees for revelation. And you need to get real with God and begin to get in his presence so he could give you faith to rise up. Because it's a subconscious thing like when he would talk when Brother Branham would be on his knees praying. And suddenly he found himself speaking another language. Why? Because faith began to rise up and he began to intercede subconsciously for somebody else, not even understanding what he was doing and realized somebody speaking German, but realizing it was him. Why? Because he got into an atmosphere of prayer and God began to move. She said, go fast with me. Go pray with me. And she said, I also, my maidens will fast. Likewise, Mordecai did that in verse 1 of the next chapter is that it came to pass on the third day. When Esther put on her royal apparel and stood in the inner court of the king's house, over against the king's house, that the king sat upon his royal throne in the royal house, over against the gate of the house. Now, I want to just take this and read between the lines for you. Because this is a phenomenal scripture. It's amazing to me how much God just hides in his scripture. Because he says he doesn't say he sat on the throne. It says, the king sat upon his throne. There was uh, not only that it was, it, was, uh, uh, it was called his throne, but rather that, it, that it, it has in there space that it wasn't the only throne setting there. That was his throne. And he sat on his throne. But as Esther came, it was in the royal house over against the gate of the house. But he was seated on one throne, on his throne. And the, 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 it's, so, it's so special because this is the royal house. And it's his throne. And Revelation chapter 3 verse 21, if you'll pick it up, it says, you know the scripture. It says, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. Even as I also overcame and I'm set down with my father in his throne. Now, stay with me because I'm going to try and slow it right down now so you can stay with me on this. Brother Branham says in the message he identified Christ in all ages in 64 of June. June of 64, he says, and then in the millennium, it's son of David. Setting on the throne, ruling. He has ascended up. He that overcomes shall sit with me on my throne as I've overcome and sat down on my father's throne. See, he says, he is sitting on the father's throne now, but in the millennium he sits upon his own throne because he is the son of David. Amen. Now, I'd, uh, I'm going to use a line from Brother Ed here in a moment. And that is, I want to speak to service, 
on just on the throne of God, and I'm not going to get entirely to that tonight because it's 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 so it's so phenomenal the types and, and shadows and, and and the realities that are in just the throne of God. But rather here, I, I just want to take this free for a moment. Who's sitting on which throne? But he says that he's overcome and he's sitting on the Father's throne now. That's right now. But rather, and then he's coming, and, uh, when it's written in Revelation chapter 3, he said, I'm sitting on my Father's throne. But now he says, but when, I, when, when you overcome, you'll sit with me in my throne. So you see, you just have to take that scripture we read in Revelation 3 and 21, to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame and am set down with my Father in his throne. I want to just take that for a moment and turn it around. Because what does that say? Then it says, as I sit now in my, with my Father in his throne, so shall the overcomer sit with me in my throne. In other words, it's the same type. As I sit with right now with my Father in his throne, there's coming in the same way that I sit with him, you'll sit with me in the same position that I have now, you will have. So you got to look at that as to say, what is that in his throne? Now, here I really apologize, Sister Ruth, because I'm going to throw a lot of scripture at you right now. <laughs> in Mark chapter, six, Mark chapter 14, verse 62, it says, And Jesus said, I am. And ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power, coming in the clouds of heaven. We know in this scripture he's brought before the, the council. And they answer him, are you... Are you who you say you are? I can't remember the exact words they used, but he says, I am. And you shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power. There's a position of it. And, and if you jump down to Acts chapter 2, verse 33, Peter begins to speak. He says, therefore, being at the right hand of God, exalted. We know what happened in Acts chapter 2, that they were baptized with the Holy Ghost. And what happened? Peter begins to preach. Peter stands up and he begins to preach about who Jesus really was. And because now he's got revelation because it's not Peter speaking, it's the Holy Ghost in Peter that's speaking out. And everyone's hearing them in his own language and he begins to preach this. He says, therefore, Christ being at the right hand of God, exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he saith himself, speaking of David, when he spoke in the Psalms, the Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou on my right hand. In other words, he's seen what was happening when Christ ascended up unto the other side, and he said that, that, that there was a throne, the majesty of God, and Christ came to the right hand of it. Why? Because the right hand is full authority and full power. That's the position. He says, sit there until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And in, in Acts chapter 7 and verse 55, Stephen in his defense, and he begins to, as they begin to bring him out, and they begin to stone him, Stephen looks up, and he says, but being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven, and saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. 
So see how he's set in his, in his father's throne. It's not that he's literally on the throne, but rather that he is seated with full authority and full power. Amen. And it's not that there's literally a being of God on the throne because Jesus is God, but at the majesty of God, there was a significance to where he was. He says, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. So who shall lay anything in Romans chapter 8, verse 33? Are you with me still? Amen. Amen. I'm just laying these things in there. And as I said to the young people on Friday, this is just to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. Amen. And that really, it's something that I don't want you to ever be forgetful of who you are in Christ Jesus. Before so an entrance is ministered to you into a heavenly kingdom which cannot be shaken. But in Romans chapter 8 and verse 33, it says, Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercessions for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? So I want you to notice here, here's Christ seated at the right hand of God. He's sitting in full power, full authority. And what's he doing with it? Interceding. Interceding on our behalf. He's the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundation of the world. And with all of his power, all of his authority, he's interceding on the behalf of his bride, on the behalf of his children. Oh my. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, it says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us, word, who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him up from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under his feet and gave to him the head, gave to him gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is the body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Oh my. Gave him full power, full authority. Gave him the preeminence. Put everything under his feet. And what does he do? All that was in God, he poured into Christ. And all that was in Christ, he poured into his church. And then in, in Colossians chapter 3, it says, if ye be risen, verse 1, with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Philippians would say that he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And here he says, what are you seeking? Seek those things which are above, even where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Seek the blood of Jesus. As he's there making intercession on our behalf. So what are we to seek to make intercession on the behalf of one another? Oh my, so set your affection on things above, not on things of the world. And verse 3 says, for you are dead. I hope we can say amen to that. I'm dead. You're looking at a dead man walking. Hallelujah. No wonder Brother Ron Spencer can preach like that. He's dead anyways. 
I'm dead anyways. You say, I'm dead anyways. And your life is hid in Christ, with Christ, in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Oh, hallelujah. I was talking to Brother Ray in the back office. It's just so phenomenal. I said I wouldn't preach on it much, but here we go, Brother Ray. But now we got to, I was just studying on and reading the, the message, the unveiling of God. And as you pour yourself into it, he begins to talk about the changing of the mask of God. And in Morphe, how God would change his mask. And what does he change it to today? How that man of all moved to the Holy Ghost would write the scriptures. Why? Because it wasn't just that they were, it wasn't that they were God, but that they were God because of the word that was in them. And they were speaking the word of God. The word was God, veiled in human flesh. Amen. And then it came the fullness of the word in Jesus Christ, that he was the word veiled right there. Elohim poured himself into Elohim. Kenosis. Amen, that he would pour himself right in there, and, and it would be Elohim in flesh. But now what has he done again? He's changed his mask again, so that it's not that it's God over us looking down, but rather it's God in a people, that so that we could be the Word made flesh today, just like Jesus when they came to Jesus looking for God, and it was such humility. Hallelujah. The world is looking for God today, but they're missing it. Why? Because there's such humility right in their midst that they can't see that God is veiled in human flesh and is blinded to the unbelievers. Oh, my. Oh, he said, as I am set down at the right hand of God, as I am with him in his throne. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 5. This isn't a familiar scripture to you. You need to read the message. <laughs> Revelations chapter 5. Now this thing's popping, banging all over the place, brother. I know it's me. Don't worry. I'm not blaming you. Hallelujah. Revelations chapter 5. says, And I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book. Seal within on the backside, seal with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaim with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the book and to loose the seals thereof? And no man in heaven nor in the earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereon. And I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals thereof. And I behold, and lo, catch this, in the midst of the throne. In other words, coming out from the middle of the throne. He was in, what I could call it this, he was in the throne house, the royal house. He was there, the majesty of God was there, and coming out from the middle of it, from the midst of it rather, now comes uh, from the throne of the four beasts, in the midst of the elders stood a, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent forth into all the world. And he came and took the book out of the right hand of him that sat upon the throne. Oh, nine. 
you just catch the placing here for a moment, if I could say it this way. Uh, John is seeing in symbols and in visions. He's seeing a throne, and there's one that's setting upon the throne. Symbol. But we find he's sitting there. But there come one, which was the lamb that the Lord had been slain, that came out from the midst. And there was still one setting with the, with the book in hand. Symbol, remember? That he took it out of the hand of the one that sat there. He took the book, and he began to loose the seals thereof. But we notice, I just want to catch tonight where he came from. He came from the middle or the midst of the throne. In other words, what that would, what would signify, and let me say this so I can point it out into the scripture with, or into the, the message as well for you. But it says, uh, I want to say this, which is to say that it's from the middle of the throne or between two thrones. The time has come. Jesus at a certain changing of a season says the hour has come that the Son of Man should be glorified. There's coming a time where I must be glorified. I have to die that I have to go down. Why? So that I could be glorified. So that I could bring forth much fruit. And now comes another junction in time. The loosing of the revealing of the seven seals where the Lamb comes forth to take the book. He comes between two thrones. Once again, I said symbol a number of times because I want to say symbol again. Because it's not that there's multiple thrones in heaven. There's one throne. It just changes designation as to who it belongs to. In other words, the person that's on it changes his mask. But notice, Brother Branham says this in the unveiling of God. He says, notice, he came first as the prophet and they crucified him. His own crucified him. He came as the Son of Man. Then after the Holy Spirit came, he was then the Son of God. God is a spirit. He was the Holy Spirit, Son of God. He lived through the church ages as Son of God. So he's saying he was there when his corporal body, he was the prophet, he was Son of Man, and he was crucified as the Son of Man. But now when he come back with the Holy Ghost, what is that? It's a changing of his mask as son of God. Because he's set in full power and authority at the right hand of God. But he comes back and he's veiled in human flesh once again in the Holy Spirit. But now and when it comes down, he says, but now in the millennium, he'll be son of David. Sitting upon the throne of his father. David, he is the son of David now. And remember, between the son of God in the Laodicean church age. Catch that wording there. Between. He inserts himself again as the son of man. In the Laodicean church age, they put him out. And in Luke, he said that he would be revealed again as the son of man. The prophet fulfilling the rest of it. What's he speaking of? The seals being revealed. When the lamb came forward in the middle like a changing of the season, he stepped forth from the throne, took the book, and he revealed himself as the son of man once again with an open book in hand. To finish the work. But it's not that he's going back to the throne of his father. But it's the step to the throne of his father as son of David. So it becomes his throne. Amen. You see, that's, that's a lot in there. That's why I'm trying to take it as slow as I can. And I pray the Lord will make it real to you. Brother Branham says, see... He'd be revealed again as son of man, the prophet, fulfilling the rest of it. See, the scriptures tie perfectly together. Son of man, son of God, son of David. What was it? It's the same God all the time, just changing his form in Morphe. He must change it. It's a great drama to him, and he's acting it out. Oh, hallelujah. 
son of man, son of God, son of David. When he was here, he was to the Jews. Oh my, he was there a son of man. But he had other sheep to bring into the fold. He spoke to the, to the Greeks on that day. Then he spoke to them and said, the seed must go in the ground. There's another work to do. There's another season that's come where the Son of Man now must be glorified to what? Son of God. So that he could come upon the Gentiles. Oh my. But now, through the ages, from the days of Pentecost to the seals, he was Son of God. Seated upon the throne of God, the right hand of God. But when the opening of the seals, he revealed himself again as the Son of Man. The body word of the Son of Man. That's what we're feeding on. Why? Because that's the revealed word. Who revealed it? The Son of Man. It wasn't William Branham. He was the voice piece. He was the mouthpiece. He was the messenger. He wasn't the message. The message was Christ. Amen. The message was Christ again back into the church. But now, let me say it, the word in our day. Oh, the showbread seed in its maturity today. I'll leave that there. It says, now the hour... Or the season has come for the Son of Man to be glorified once again. <laughs> Hallelujah. See, he's not going back to Son of God. He's moving forward to Son of David. See how close we are to the end time. Know you not that a thousand years is as a day, a day is a thousand years. It's just a blip in time from 1963 till now. To God, it's not a huge jump. It's just been there still on the same day. Or if you want to take 2,000 as, as, as that's the day, well, then it's just the next morning. <laughs> but it's really it's just the same day to Christ. It's just right there in that same period that he's walking and he's changing. He's come forth to do his mediatorial work, to, to do what? To go back and sit upon the throne. But it's not the throne of God anymore. It's his throne. That's why I can say to him that overcome, will I grant to sit with me in my throne? The same way that I used to sit with my father in his throne. But it's not his throne anymore. Now it's mine. Because I've changed my mask now. It's not son of God. I'm son of David or I'm coming to son of David. Oh my. Just how close are we? Another changing of a junction of time. Let me say this. All the while, where does Christ go? He's still in the throne room. In John chapter 14, as, as we called it, it's amazing to be Esther. It says that they were in the royal house, in the throne house. He sat on his throne in the royal house. Now here it says in John chapter 14, it says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in me, believe also in God. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. There's Revelation 3.21 again. That where I am, there you may be also. Right there in my Father's house. But whither I go, you know, and the way, you know. Oh my. What, what is that meaning? 
He sits at the right hand of God in all power and all authority. He hasn't lost that power and authority, but he's here with this open book in his hand, and he's he's standing in the midst of his church receiving all of the glory, still doing his mediatorial work until the last seed is in. Let me say it this way. We don't want to see Son of David until we've got our body changed because we'd all be lost in that case because he rules and reigns with a rod of iron. Not one of us could stand and one put one finger to him, but rather we need the lamb as though it had been slain. We need that blood of Jesus Christ every single day. We need it every day. So what, what, what is the part for us to do? What is the part for us to do as I read in Esther, as we read Esther chapter 4, Esther chapter 5, that rather now when it comes to this place where she said, I need to go into the throne room, I need to come to my place, what should I do? I should pray. I should create an atmosphere around me that I know I'll be pleasing to the king. And it says, in, if you pick up Esther chapter 8, Sister Ruth, Esther chapter 8 and verse 1. I just want to catch this as we know that Esther began to catch her place as she was there with the, with the king at a feast. And then he, she began to invite him back for another feast. She enjoyed that kind of fellowship. But now if you go down after Haman is, is hung on his own gallows, and now it comes down to chapter 8 and verse 1. It says, and on that day did the king Ahasuerus give the house of Haman, the, Jew, the Jew's enemy, unto Esther the queen. Oh my. Oh, we can stop preaching on that all day. We're going to keep moving because that, that's a whole other service. And Mordecai came before the king. And Esther had told, for Esther had told what he was unto her. Now, once again, I want you just to catch the wording here of this for a moment. Between Esther coming before the king and Haman done away with, and now between that time and the end. And at that time in, in Esther chapter 8, Esther had had conversations with the king. And of everything they talked about, Mordecai had come up. Because once they begin to have a relationship, I'm sure it was on the king's heart exactly who Esther was. Because now he knew she was a Jew. And now he's saying, where'd you come from? Who, who are you Really? You've caught my eye. You've got my attention. But I want to know everything about you. I want to know everything that you have. Come and talk with me. Sit with me. Be with me, my queen. And as we're going to talk to her, it says, Mordecai came before the king. For Esther had already told what he was unto her. And in the very next verse, in verse 2, Sister Ruth says, And the king took off his ring, which he had taken from Haman, and gave it to Mordecai. And Esther set Mordecai over the house of Haman. Oh my, think of the authority right now that was given to a queen that recognized who she was. That now she had a place right beside the king. And it wasn't just, well, the king said, the king said, it was, here you go, Esther. What do you say? I'm giving you authority over this. I put you in authority over everything that the second in my kingdom had. And now I've given you authority over all of his house. What are you going to do with it? Hallelujah. He said, exactly as I sat with my father in his throne, you will sit with me in my throne. Yes. 
And if you want to take it a little bit farther, you go down, I think it's about 17 years later in the book of Nehemiah, the Nehemiah chapter 2, where Nehemiah makes his request known before the king. And in chapter 2 of Nehemiah, verse 6, Sister Ruth, it says, Then the king said unto me, For what dost thou make requests? And so I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said unto the king, If it please the king, if thy servant have found favor in thy sight, will that thou wouldest send me unto Judah, unto the city of the father's sepulchers, that I may build it. And the king said unto me, in parenthesis, and the queen also sitting by him. Oh, praise be to God. Where was she now? She wasn't off in her house saying, I can't go, I can't go. There was the king, and it was the daily court, and the queen was sitting by his side. The queen was sitting with him in his throne. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, for this great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. I hath and hath raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. It says in chapter 1 of Ephesians that he set him up in heavenly places. He made his footstool all of his enemies under his feet. But now it says in chapter 2, and I put you up there. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness to us, toward us, through Christ Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. I feel like Brother Branham preached the seventh seal. Let's just close it if you can't get that. I know it's not that kind of a, I don't mean to lift myself up to that. That God says that he sat at full power, full authority at the right hand of God. And when he come forth to take the book, what was he doing? He was saying, to you that overcome, he'll have the same place. To those that are living in an overcoming life, you'll have the same place. I know the question to come to at this point, then how do I overcome? I could take the easy opt-out tonight and just say, go read the message, how can I overcome? <laughs> but I want to say it a little bit further. The Greeks said, sirs, we would see Jesus. And what did they see? Humility. What did they hear? Except a corner of wheat fall on the ground and die. It abides alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. They heard a junction of time being announced. Father, the hour has come that the Son of Man will be glorified. What was happening at the jet, the opening of the seals, a junction of time that God began to cry out, and we could say it ourselves, and we could say it as the bride of Christ. Father, the hour has come. Glorify the Son of Man and the bride once again. Except the seed, the corn of wheat, die and go in the ground. It abides alone. You might be predestinated as predestinated can be, but except you die. 
It can't bring forth fruit. It's got to bite alone. It's going to die. It's got to get to a place on your knees alone with God. How can I overcome? You can overcome by prayer. What was lacking in that day? Jesus came to his own house and he said, My house shall be called a house of prayer. And you made it a den of thieves. What was lacking? The prayer. The temple was there. The sacrifices was there. The priests were there. The Levites were there. But what was lacking? There was no prayer. Oh my, the Greeks came waiting for their part. They wanted to have part of what was going on, but they didn't recognize that they were lacking in prayer. They didn't recognize their season. It wasn't their time yet. Their time was so many years later, or a few years later, when Paul came to Mars Hill and seen an altar to an unknown God, and he began to say, I know that God. That was their time. How can I overcome I'm just going to take some some quotes from here and then I'll close. My heart is just set towards the Tuesday prayer meeting. I'm really, I want to see God move again. I want to see God come in our midst. We can say all kinds of cliche sayings like I'm done playing church and I don't want to play church anymore and we need to be she is him and all these things. We make that cliche. We make it a saying, but rather I want it to be real. How's it going to be real? There's only one way it can be real and that's by prayer. God will hear and answer prayer. Prayer changes things. If you lay your husband or your wife or your unsaved one before God and then pray, God will make a way somewhere because he promised to. When you go to praying for somebody, something's going to take place. There is where we fail, friends, not praying. Prayer is the keynote. I I just preached about it. You've come to a place where he's wanting to set you in heavenly places with Christ Jesus at full power and full authority, just like he said on the throne of his Father. But what are we lacking? Prayer is the keynote. You heard it this morning. The way up is what? Down. It says, let everything else be secondary but your prayer life. That's the secret to all the mysteries of God is prayer. That's the key that opens the door to everything in God is prayer. He said, Brother Brennan says, I'd rather have a church that has such a burden on their heart for prayer that would just stay at this altar and would be here day and night and everything else and in their house was constantly in prayer. I say, amen. I'd like to be a part of a church like that where it's just, Lord, let me pray and pray through. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes death to life. I'm just going to say a few more just to get rid of all the excuses. Prayer changes sickness to health. It changes sinners to saints. It's prayer. He says, and now above all things, keep praying one for another. Never let the devil show any bitterness anywhere. Keep your souls pure in this hour. Hallelujah. He says, that's the best remedy I know of is prayer. He says, I live by the grace of God through prayer. Prayer is not exactly bringing God down to man. It's bringing man up to God. 
Listen to this. He says, prayer, it will, prayer from a saint will go a million miles higher than an angel. Yes, sir. Hallelujah. Prayer from a saint will go a million miles higher than an angel. Why? Because he's a son. They don't have a clue what you're talking about. When you're talking about grace, when you're talking about redemption, when you're talking about the blood of Jesus covering your sins, when you're talking about love covering the multitude of sins, an angel doesn't know that but to a son. Access right to the throne room. It says, and people can give in such a way, can pray in such a way till the devil will have to give in. <laughs> Hallelujah. You still got problems tonight? Good, I got a lot more quotes. It says, I've seen death be drove back by prayer and life take its, t- take its place. He says this, there's going to be a great pressure come one of these days till you're going to have to pray. <laughs> Hallelujah. He says, and it's usually those who pray, it's the ones that got the burden. The ones who get something, it's those who pray that's ordained of God to do so. He says, the Christian doesn't realize what a force he has when he kneels on his knees before Almighty God. The name of Jesus Christ, he doesn't realize what power that is. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh my, the same way Jesus would come up to the, the maniac there and those demons would begin to cry out, let us go into the swine. Jesus didn't get down and begin to pray. Oh, God, he already knew who he was. He had already prayed through. He already had fasted. He already had prayed. He already knew that when he was standing there before those demons, he just had to say one word. Go. Hallelujah. No wonder he could stand before the tomb of Lazarus and just stand there and just say, Lazarus, come forth. Now, Lazarus, if God hears your prayer, maybe you should come out of there. No, Lazarus, it was a certain thing. Hallelujah. Oh, my. And what produces faith is prayer. So apply the token in prayer with consideration, with believing. Apply it with such love. You create a spirit around you of power that when you say something to them, you believe, they believe your word, what you say. Oh, take that one up, fathers. Take that one up, man, in your house. That when you could speak, that you've applied the token in such love that when you speak in your home, your children will line up. Oh, man. So don't pray for yourself. Pray for somebody else. Don't pray for yourself. You get someone else on your mind. Pray for them. The greatest time of anybody's life, the greatest time of anybody's life is just when you sit down and meditate. Take everything off your mind that you would do that and there wouldn't be so much nervousness in the country. If we just think on God, draw nigh unto me and I'll draw nigh unto you. Hallelujah. There wouldn't be so much nervousness. Oh, we got a lot of nervousness in the country, don't we? There's a lot of fear. There's a lot of scare. There's a lot of things going on. But there wouldn't be that if they just get on their knees and get real with God. Sacrifice your time for prayer. Sacrifice your life. The best thing I know of to quiet my nerves is a good old-fashioned prayer meeting. And just because everything goes wrong, that's no sign we should quit praying. We just pray on anyhow. Oh my. I'll say this before God's Bible. He said, I never did sincerely ask for anything but what God gave it to me or told me the reason why he couldn't give it to me. 
says, I say that as a servant to Christ. And I'll say the exactly same thing. I remember a couple years ago, I was praying for, uh, I was at a, a man's house, it was a client, actually, Brother Jared, it was just a couple around the block from your house. And we were there, his name's Ray Kaslick, he was a fine man, and we, we were talking, and he began to talk about, he had this heart trouble, and he just, he's, bro, the doctor, he's having heart problems, and it's not beating right, and he's all worried, and I was ready to go, I gave him the bill, he just paid me, so I said, well, I said, what would you mind if I pray with you? He's not a believer, I don't know if he'll ever come to church, I don't know, but I pray he will. But as he comes in, he said, yeah, I'd like that very much. I got an email just a couple days after that, and he emailed me. He said, Andrew, I just want to thank you so much for your prayers. I went to the doctor, and they said, there ain't nothing wrong. He said, even to an unbeliever, yes, sir. Because there was Jesus right there before the tomb of Lazarus. It didn't matter who else believed. He had faith. And there was Mary and Martha. They just had to roll away the stone. They didn't have to call for Lazarus. They just had to identify with Jesus. And Jesus spoke the word. He says, did you ever get down on your, down and pray until you come to a place where you feel like you're walking on clouds? That's when you're getting light. <laughs> Hallelujah. I think Brother Maxwell just preached the service not long ago, unpacking. Unpacking all that baggage. How are you going to unpack that baggage? Oh, I'm just going to throw it out one day right before the rapture. No, it's going to be by a prayer life. It's going to be like getting on your knees with God and you begin to realize the things that aren't important anymore. He says they don't dig down enough to get in the spirit of revelation. They don't pray enough. They don't call on God enough. He says if we fail to pray through daily, all the time, keep under the blood, you'll wither up and die in your Christian experience. Oh my, when we see crowds gathering, he said that doesn't mean revival. That's just a gathering. But revival is when people get really right with God and pray through. Oh, saints of God, I hope you see what I'm talking about. I want to see God. I want to sit on the right hand of God. I want to be in his throne. How am I going to get there? Pray through. Get along with God. He says, you know that when you pray through, you get an answer. You really got a lot of faith then. Oh, I need a lot of faith, Brother Andrew. When I, when I can move a mountain, literally, that'll be a lot of faith. No, he says, when you pray and you get an answer, that's a lot of faith. <laughs> Hallelujah. Faith ain't some great way off thing. When you pray and you get an answer, no matter how great or no matter how small. Oh, my son's got a lot of faith. They keep praying for three feet of snow. We're almost there. Every time we have devotion, we get to pray. They close their prayer saying, Lord, make it three feet of snow tomorrow. In Jesus' name. And I'm like, oh. I got to shovel that. <laughs> they like the snow. He says, you're commanded to pray for one another. He says, we're in the battle and we need each other more than we ever did in all times. If anybody makes a mistake, pray for him right quick. If there's somebody that someone's done something wrong, pray for them. Just pray for them. Just keep praying and God will understand that and he'll make everything right. Oh, praise be to God, never let an arrogant spirit ever come around you. Oh, my, he says, just keep praying. Keep him on your mind all the time. If you would do that, there wouldn't be so much nervousness around the country. You know what? The best armor that America has in this present crisis is God-fearing, praying people. Hallelujah. He doesn't say the best defense Canada's got it during this pandemic is a vaccine. The best defense we got in this pandemic is God-fearing, praying people. 
people that will get on their knees. Amen. It's the best. It's worth more than all the bombs and tanks could ever produce. I'll say it this way. It's worth more than every ventilator and every, we thank God for those. We thank God for the vaccine. But it's worth more than all those things put together. It says, higher you rise in God, the more sinful the whole thing looks. Church has a sacred responsibility to prayer and the word and to Christ, just the same as a woman has to her husband. Oh my, he says, while they were praying one night, we talk about them at John's Mark's house in the book of Acts. While they were praying one night, what happened? The angel of the Lord went down to the prison. What sent the angel of the Lord down there? What called him down? It wasn't Peter sleeping. He was the one in the prison. He was fast asleep, but two guards like, well, this is it. This is all I got. He was trying to get whatever rest he could, but there was men and women in a house in John Mark. They were on their knees before God, praying for the servant of God. Oh, hallelujah. He says in one place, we've got to get all the ministry. We've got to get all the church. We've got to get all the laity praying. Oh, my. Their prayers, Hamram's prayers, was just exactly with the scripture. Their prayers were with the promised word. I think his brother Harold just said, it. said, when you pray, just remind God of his word. That's what Amram started to do. He started to recognize that we've been in captivity a long time. Lord, it's time for the deliverer. That's what happened to Daniel when he started to realize it's about 70 years coming on. He started to praying. Oh, my. Oh, I got a couple of pages here. The only way I know to do is get back into the program of God and find out, after all, what God wants us to do. Hmm, must be some great thing. That's what Naaman thought. But he says, the only thing I know what to do is prayer. Prayer is the key. I said, Father, it's the greatest privilege that a mortal ever had is to close his eyes, open his heart, and speak to you. Oh, my you take that and put it in context for a moment. How much honor would we have if they said, you know what, we want you to meet the prime minister. We want you to meet the president. Right now, those, those, those things might not hold a lot of value. But maybe there's some great tech giant that you think, man, I'd sure like to meet if Steve Jobs was still alive. Or I'd sure like to meet Jeff Bezos. Or man, I would like to talk to him and ask him a few questions. Or this one that's wrote this book. Or that one that's wrote that book. And this one, I've read all the books and I'd like to meet the person. We'd have this great honor, but he says, the greatest honor. Hallelujah. The greatest honor you could ever have is to just close your eyes. Open your heart. Start to speak to God. He says, you know, sometimes when we're praying for others... We're the one that gets the help many times. I know that, amen. I remember coming up here praying for a brother that had back trouble and I could barely get to the front because I had back trouble. And I was walking down to my seat saying, hey, my back got healed. And I was praying for you, brother Jake, that's right. Amen, and I was me that got the healing. Why? Because you enter into a burden for that person. Hallelujah. He says, I want to give you a little secret. The Lord bless me greatly and to whom I will give praise for praying for the sick. And I have watched it through the years. I found it to be the absolute truth. I can never, never get my prayers through till actually I get right into the real fellowship with the person I'm praying for. You've got to go down and feel that person's condition. 
Hallelujah. I so appreciate the service this morning. That's what we need to be able to get on our knees and feel the, the, the burden for one another, to understand the condition that one another are in, to not be looking out and say, oh, what's their problem? I wish they'd just get over it. Doing my, if that wasn't your problem, your problem would be this over here. Just get over it. Be happy that's your problem. No, get under a burden for one another and say, God, I might not be going through that, but they're going through it. I do not know what that's like, but Lord, they're struggling with it, so it must be hard. I'm not above anybody else. The grace of God makes an even playing field. Hallelujah. He says, confessing our faults one to another, praying one for another. There you are with love, love, and I got confidence. Uh, I can confess to you my wrong. He says, you can confess to me your wrong. I love you well enough that I will pray for you, and you pray for me. And I'll say with, with, with an effectual, fervent prayer until it's answered. Hallelujah. We need more prayer warriors. Lord Jesus, he says, this is my prayer. Let me look away from the cares of life. I know we're just a common people. We're uneducated. We have not much of this world's goods. But we love you, Lord. Oh, hallelujah. It just makes me think of that time when he was there. Uh, I think he was checking out. I think it was Oral Roberts, if I'm not mistaken. His building and these great things. And Billy Graham at his great program. And he just thought, Lord, maybe you don't trust me with all these things. But he just heard a still small voice say, but I'm your portion. Let's stand on our feet. What else do you want in this life? The world is chasing their things. They've got all their... Money that will fade away. But Brother Branham says this. He says we should constantly, we should be constantly giving ourselves to the Word of God in prayer, studying the Word. It's not just at church we pray, but the Bible says I would that men praying everywhere, lifting up holy hands. No matter where you are, you're at work, you're at home with the children. Just get away, take a secret time in prayer. Take a little time to say, Lord, i got to take a moment for you. Everything else, Brother Branham says, should be secondary. Everything else should be secondary. I can't tell you, and not to lift myself, but I can't tell you how many times that I've had and I've just kneeled, knelt over wherever I'm working on, knelt over a, a thousand toilets maybe. <laughs> That's what it takes. I remember not long ago, we were just starting recording something, and Brother John needed this certain key, and he said, he texted me, and I was down in the basement, I was working over this pump, and he texted me, he said, Brother Andrew, I've lost the key to the program, I don't know where it is. He says, and I, I, we were going to record on Saturday, and it was Thursday, and he said, I've let, let, let the company know I need a replacement, but it could take 48 business hours, three business days, or two business days, and there's so many, and he said, it's going to take that long, it might not be till next week, and I just knelt over the pump, I said, Lord... We're doing this at your will. I don't understand what all is going to happen, but I ask that you'd help him find the key or that the new key would show up. Five minutes later, he texted me and said, Brother Andrew, they just emailed me and said the key's been sent. <laughs> He's a miracle working God still. Oh, my. He's still God the same yesterday, today, and forever. I said, whatever you say, Esther, <laughs> whatever you say, Queen of Heaven, I'm giving you the house of Haman, whatever you want to do with it. 
He was the son of the morning star. He was all of these things. He had great ambitions. He did these things. But I'm giving you everything that I give to him. What do you want to do with it? Whatever you say. <laughs> no wonder he could say, whatever you say of this mountain, and don't doubt in your heart, it'll happen. Oh, God. If we just recognize the power that's in the church today. The power that's in the bride today. Oh, speak. Spirit of God, move. Write your word in my heart. Fill my whole being. Consume my life. Let's sing that song together. An empty vessel I want to be. Empty of what? Not of the word of God. Empty me out of all the things of the world. Empty me out of all the cares. Let me empty my mind of all the things that i got to worry about. Let me just come to you, Lord. So that you, Lord could fill me. Spirit of God, move. Write your word on my heart. Fill my atmosphere all together for a moment I want to sing a song and I want you just to really catch it tonight real simple song victory is mine I can imagine Esther wanted to sing this song after she got in the king's presence and Haman was done away with and she's there and he says whatever you want to do with, with this house of Haman it's all yours and he'd already had, she'd already have a conversation well here's Mordecai I'm giving it to Mordecai I just want to give it to somebody else. I love that. That's a real Christian right there. He says, oh, wonderful. I got all this power and authority. Let me just do everything. No, he says, let me just lift up my brother. Hallelujah. Let me lift up my sister. Let me do something for somebody else with what God's given me. Let me take the gift that God put in my life. Let me lay it down for the body of Christ. Let me do something so I can bless God again with it. Hallelujah. Victory is mine. Victory is mine, oh victory today is mine, oh well I told Satan, you just can't be 
If you're mine. feeling down, sing this. Oh, I said joy is mine. Yes, joy is mine. Oh, joy every day. Sir, Sister Ruth, I wonder how many here, why don't you put up your hand if you thought these literal thoughts this morning when you woke up. You did. One person. Hey, man, he was preaching this morning. But nobody gets up almost and thinks, you know what? I have no doubt. The Lord's going to bring me out. No, it's subconscious something. Something on the inside that you just wake up knowing. I'm a son of God. Whatever happens today, how do I know these things? Because the first thing I do when I get out of bed is I either roll over or I slide onto my knees. And I start to pray. And I know God answers prayer. So no matter what's going to come at me today, I love that that testimony, Brother Ed. You lost your phone. And you got out there and he says, aren't you going to pray? And he said, no, I already prayed. God's already in control. Why? I knew the Lord was going to bring me out. I didn't have to worry about what was going to happen. I knew God was in control today. I'd already committed it to him. Praise God. Oh, my. When I woke this morning. When I woke woke up this morning. I didn't have no doubt. And I knew that the Lord would bring me out. So I got down on my knees. I said, Lord, help me Smile. 
know that song, We Are Going to See the King? <clears throat> what a blessed time, time is coming, coming, coming soon. It may be evening, morning, or at noon. Oh, the wedding of the bride, united with the groom. Oh, we shall see the king when he comes. Oh, we shall see the king. We shall see the king. Oh, we shall see the king when he Isn't the word wonderful? Aren't the types and shadows so perfect? Don't they tell you where we're at? Oh my. Well, I, I actually had John chapter 12, the same verse as Brother Andrew had in my notes this morning. And I'm going to have them in in a future service because thankfully he didn't go down the path I wanted to go. <laughs> But he did bite into my Wednesday service a little bit. And I was going to speak on turning the heart of the king. <laughs> because it was a woman called Jezebel that turned the heart of Ahab. But it was a woman named Esther that turned the heart of the king. <laughs> and I'll say this, there's a woman on the earth today. And she's also typed in the book of Ruth. She knew she was going to see the king because she had laid at his feet and she said, cover me with your garment. And he covered her. So she rested when he went and stood before the elders. And when he stood before the elders, he was standing for her. He is standing for us. Oh my God. 
I just say, Lord, your word is wonderful. The types are wonderful. <laughs> Have you enjoyed the word today? Oh, we ought to thank God. You know, this is a, this is food we can feed on. I'll tell you what, I start thinking on these things. We're, these were the types and the shadows. They couldn't fail. And they were projected for what we are actually living out right now. Oh, I, I think it's wonderful. Well, I, 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 I don't know. I just feel like, man, my heart is full. I trust yours is full. We'll just kind of change the order. Let's just sing, All I Want to See is Jesus. And then we're going to close in prayer. I think we're seeing him more and more in one another. Brother Ernie, I'm going to ask you to come up and close in prayer, okay? Oh, I know the time is near And everything that I hold you Will lay before the whole consuming fire All my works and all my deeds Every prayer spent on my knees Will lay before the land will lay before the holy consuming fire and all I want to see